You are listening to First Church Charlotte. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It's wonderful to see you all in the house of the Lord. It's a beautiful day outside, and it's a beautiful day inside. This is the largest crowd we've had uh, since the year that shall not be named. And we are all here worshiping together. Uh, Many of you are taking appropriate precautions. Some of you have already either had it or been vaccinated or are 100% over it. Uh, Whatever your situation, we're glad you're here. Everyone joining us online, God bless you. We want you to just worship with us wherever you are. My title today is simply this, Hope Has a Name. Hope Has a Name. I'm going to read a passage. I love this passage uh, in the... Uh, writings of uh, Peter, 1 Peter chapter number 1. We're going to read it, uh, verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice the words that Peter uses Uh, He establishes our living hope, not simply something worth dying for. We often think of uh, holding to your faith despite persecution, and all of us remember reverently those martyrs who did so. But the difficulty for us is not dying for our faith. The difficulty for us is living our faith. And can I have a big first church amen? Uh, Peter intentionally connects our living hope with uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from from the dead. Now, I want to ask a question to all of you, and it is simply this. Is, Is this hope thing that we talk about, is it just a cliche of sorts? Is it just a manner in which we kind of encourage one another, uh, or is there something to it? Uh, I was watching our, our, our student ministry as they did their song, and I, I want to point out, first of all, that not all of those kids that end that have this some perfect life uh, with perfect little families and perfect little circumstances. Uh, many of them uh, have stories that would surprise and maybe even shock some of you, uh, but they're doing their best to serve the Lord right where they are. Not all of them have real strong family support. I'm not saying their families don't love them. I'm referring more to like a church-style support where some of us, we had parents to make sure, you know, we, you know what I'm saying. A lot of them are serving God as, at a young age, and they're choosing it. They're not, they're not forced to do that. And uh, even the story of, of Mayan's personal testimony, it's, it's beautiful, it's tragic, it's moving, and in the middle of it, threaded through it, is this hope, is this faith. Uh, that our our hope is in Jesus Christ, and uh, I I was so uh, so excited about our team to work with all of our students. You may not have known it, but Pastor Nathan wrote that song for them, and he collaborated with them. He collaborated with them for their lyrics, for their for the the, the rapping part. They don't, I don't know if that's what they call it nowadays, but uh, some of you didn't know what to do with it, and that's okay. Uh, it's 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 kind of a uh, you know not your style. I know, and I could look around, and those of you who were like going. I know that wasn't your kind of style at all. You know, you didn't know what to do, and some of you are like, uh, 
I knew you kind of got it, you know. You kind of got that. But I, 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 want, I want you all as a church, I want you to feel our commitment uh, to these young people. I, I, don't, I don't want you, not really about entertainment, I want you to feel our commitment. We have to give our young people more than tradition. It has to be more than this type of cultural inheritance that we call church. It has to be a living hope or we failed. That doesn't mean they're going to have perfect lives. Between me and you, they're not. That doesn't mean they're not going to do crazy things and have to fix it. I mean, think of the crazy things you did. Um, And uh, I'm telling you this, though, at the core of this extension, daily extension of our lives, one day after another, one, one season of our life after another, one morning, you know, measuring your life in coffee spoons, you know, day after day, uh, this has to reflect a living hope, not just some type of a social coping mechanism. It has to be a living hope. So let me ask you again, is hope simply a cliche of sorts? Uh, When I say cliche, I'm referring to a phrase or an opinion that's overused and betrays a lack of original thought. In other words, something that you just say to someone, you haven't thought about it, you haven't considered it, uh, you just use someone else's opinion as though it were a type of formula to let you check a box and move on. Uh, Is hope for real or is hope just another form of of a cliche? Uh, This is the question of the age. Uh, This is the question of the hour. Uh, We've come through difficult year. We know that. We're sick of talking about it. And they're waiting for us on the other side of our year of shut-in was all the problems that were there before. All of the problems, all of the fear, all of the pain, they were, it was all there waiting on us to come out of our respective holes. And uh, we see the, the, the same hopelessness that is written across the, the headlines of our newspaper. So it, I, I feel like it's a fair question. Is, is hope simply a cliche? Uh, we live in an a, a hour of cynicism. And uh, as a result, we as people of faith have to make sure that we have a living hope in our life, not just a religious label that we stamp upon our life. Uh, Lots of people see the world as it is. Lots of people feel a sense of hopelessness. Lots of people decide to either numb it, cope with it, survive it, but they have no living hope that things could ever change for uh, the better. We as the church must live out a promise. We must live out a living hope manifest in the fact that Jesus did not stay in the tomb, but he came out of the tomb. This isn't the first hour of, shall we say, challenge or cynicism. There was a book written in 1948 by an author, H.W. Auden, and the name of the book is The Age of Anxiety. And Uh, We forget that in the late 40s, anyone who was old enough to be a part of the reading public, you know, the age where you might spend some of your hard-earned money to buy a book and read it and reflect upon it, uh, that age, if they were alive in 48 and buying books, this is what we know about them. First of all, they had lived through a worldwide influenza pandemic. Does that sound familiar? Uh, They had lived through two world wars. And they had lived through a massive economic depression. And if that was not troubling enough for them, humanity had just invented nuclear weapons. (laughs) 
So you can imagine why a book entitled The Age of Anxiety would resonate with the reading audience. I want to give you a few quotes from the book that I feel like reaches across the years and still punches today. It still hits you right in your soul. Uh, I love this one. This is probably my favorite one. We would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions go. I think of that quote often when I read how divided our society is, how much anger and rage and hate there is in our, high, in our, uh, our form of living, in the political moment across the civil spectrum. We would rather be ruined than changed. He goes on to say, For others like me, there is only the flash of negative knowledge. The night when, drunk, one staggers to the bathroom and stares in the glass to meet one's madness. You feel the darkness, the heaviness of that. He goes on to say this, and I like this quote too. The world needs a wash and a week's rest. I know exactly how he feels. Let's talk about the here and now for a moment. Uh, We are living out this ongoing societal experiment, and a scholar would call it, what does it mean to be a part of a post-Christian society? A post-Christian society is when society admits it has been shaped by something, but it has moved on it now, on from it now. This is interesting because so many people in our society, uh, they, they acknowledge the past of Christianity and the past hope of it, but they're in the here and now living in a, an age of cynicism an age of disbelief, an age of anxiety. And uh, the result of this is that we haven't nothing beyond our world to believe in. At its very core, Christianity is built upon this idea that Jesus Christ represents the highest, the best, the most generous, the kindest, If God was going to show us how he meant us to be when he created us, you would look at the life of Jesus and you would see not this competitive drive, not this angry competition, not this me first and you second if I'm in a good mood, and me first and you never if I'm in a bad mood. If Christ had, if God, I should say, if our creator had had, had created us for an ideal, what would that look like? like? Would it look like a celebrity? Would it look like a star? Would it look like some figure of pop culture? Or is in the life of Jesus the highest star in humanity's firmament shown to us? And I would suggest there is no other figure in history who lives for the purpose of healing a broken world more than Jesus Christ did. He who was whole showed us that the way to a better world is to spend our life, to let ourselves be broken, to make a broken world whole. And then he says to you, if you would be my disciple, you need to think in this same kind of a way. You need to deny yourself. You need to get out of a self-promotion game. You need to get out of the me first game. 
and you need to take up a purpose, cross. Cross is not random, accidental, purposeless death. It is to give the whole of your life to something that matters. Take up your cross and then follow me. You can say you're a follower of Jesus, but if yourself is at the forefront, it is yourself you are fooling. You can say you're a follower of Christ, but if there is no missional purpose in your life, I mean, I hope you enjoy your maintenance program, but you've missed the mission that's in the life, uh, in the ministry of Jesus Christ. All right, stay with me. We live as though there is no foundation of hope beneath our, beneath our feet, and the result is cynicism. The result is people uh, believe in nothing, and they have no hope beyond their horizon because they look at this world. They look at the institutions. They look at the politics. They look at social justice. They look at the economic system, and they say, look, you just have to cope with it. You just have to deal with it. There is no hope beyond this world. Well, I I want to say there is a living hope, and it is not in this world. It is beyond this world. It's not a part of the systems. It's not a part of the rat race. It's not a part of the competition. It's not a part of who wins and who loses. It's beyond this world. And that living hope is the fact that Jesus Christ did not stay in the tomb, but he came out of the tomb. The result is this this age of cynicism. We have nothing beyond ourselves, and uh, that's expressed in so many ways. Let me give you a couple quick examples. First of all, uh, there can be 10,000 uh, small churches working diligently every week to try to minister in their community. Uh, they may give money to programs. They may send help to foreign lands. They may feed the homeless. But not one of those small churches will be mentioned in uh, the newspaper, even though there are tens of thousands of them sincerely striving to make the world a better place. But you let one church have something happen where somebody touches somebody in they shouldn't, and that will be on the front page of every newspaper in America because it is the age of cynicism. You let one preacher, one teacher, uh, one pastor uh, fall into the lusts of the flesh, and whether or not uh, we admit it or not, admit it or not, uh, preachers have all the lusts of the flesh that anybody else does. They just need to keep themselves organized, or they need to lose their job. I mean. That's just how the truth gets told right there. Um, So if they, however, there's ten thousands upon thousands of pastors who are every day uh, taking low-paying jobs, who are, even in spite of high levels of education, and they choose it and they work it, and no newspaper writes about them. And they visit hospitals and no one really notices. uh, They sit with dying people. They sit with uh, husbands and wives going through uh, divorce and separations and they they visit the, and no, nobody thinks or mentions or notices them but you let one preacher do one dumb thing and it'll be on the newspaper headlines all across the country it is the age of cynicism and so it is as though we survey the world and we say uh, no one can be trusted nobody cares burn it all down and so uh, we are all of us turned into the joker by cynicism. You didn't know you were hearing about the joker today, but that's how I roll sometimes. Uh, Let me try to give you, since we're in a kind of reflective mode here for a moment, 
Let me, let me give you, I think, the philosopher who saw this first and wrote it down first, and that is a philosopher not often mentioned in Christian pulpits, but probably the most influential modern philosopher um, of our times, in my opinion, and that is Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, and he, he is the one who famously said God is dead. Now, he didn't believe God had died. He didn't believe in God. Um, he never believed God had been alive. He was an unbeliever. He was an atheist. And uh, he wasn't saying God had died, so let's celebrate. He wasn't talking about God at all. He was talking about us. I've heard him quoted a lot by people who didn't understand that. And uh, I, I want to make it clear. I want to be fair to him because he makes a brilliant point about the state of the modern human heart that is written, that is expressed in this post-Christian age of ours. He writes this, God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off of us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement? What sacred game shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become God simply to appear worthy of it? What he's saying is not that there once was a God and then he got sick and died. What he's saying is there was a day when we saw righteousness beyond us something to be aspired toward, something to pursue. We held it like a north star and we tried to orient our lives. But then we climbed the heavens and we cut that down. And now we hold these things in our own hands and the question is, are we worthy of them? Or are they simply revealing the limits of our hearts? I would say that the result of a cynical age is that uh, we have deified ourselves and then found ourselves wanting. We have exalted ourselves and then we have found ourselves disappointing. We have worshipped ourselves and then decided we make very bad gods. We hold righteousness in our hands and heap scorn upon all others. We hold justice in our hands and look down upon all others. And a fair question must then be asked, if you'll allow me, it goes like this. How has that worked out for us? How healthy are we doing with this? How well are we... <laughs> it's quiet in here. I might better hurry along. <laughs> How well are we as a society handling the self-deification project um, I would say not very well. Why is that? Because nothing about the human heart has changed. Our science has changed. Our technology has changed. Our medicine has changed. But nothing about the human heart has changed even a little bit. Every need that was in ancient man is still in your heart. Every fear that was in ancient humanity is in your heart. All of our technology has sped us up turned us out and entertained us much and done nothing for the soul. 
The difference is we quit looking beyond the horizon for some ideal that might speak to our soul and we look to the weekends we have in our hand and the paycheck that hits our bank and said to our soul, old soul, be satisfied with another weekend and our soul grows ever weaker. We say, old soul, be satisfied with another vacation and our soul grows ever weaker. There's not much food for the soul in all our our entertainment. And so no one can be trusted. Nobody cares. Burn it all down. I have, in the last uh, couple months, I have spent a lot of time thinking about this. It has come out in some of my teaching and preaching, and uh, I have tried to go as deep as possible in what is to be learned from it. And I I have been, I've been communicating, I've been teaching and preaching long enough to know that if you want people to get something, if you want people to remember something, don't tell them what you think, don't tell them what you know, tell them a story. They won't remember anything about what you think, they won't remember anything that you claim to know, but they will remember a story. And so I sat down at my little work desk in my little office and I asked myself, is there some kind of a story that I could tell to show the folly of trying to find direction for your life by only looking at this world. And so I wrote a little parable for you, and it goes like this. A ship of fools once set sail. Now, you know it's got to be kind of a tragic story when it starts out talking about a ship of fools. Alas, ye sailors, follow along with me. A ship of fools set sail. We will follow the stars, they said, and they were right to do so. Wise captains had told them to follow the stars. The stars would have taken them anywhere they needed to go, but they realized soon that they weren't very good at following the stars because uh, quite to their consternation, the stars always seemed to be moving and uh, they got lost over and over Rather than the patient and diligent work of learning the stars, rather than the laborious work of learning the heavens, they just decided that the stars weren't any help, and they decided to look for something else to guide them. They uh, started following the wind, and uh, this was a real disaster. But the wind, for a little while, would seem like it was a great plan. And it would take them with almost no effort, almost no planning. It would take them with the, the, the highest possible efficiency until they, caught, they were caught against a lee shore and they knew they were going to be destroyed on the rocks of an unknown land. The wind nearly killed them and they abandoned the wind and they said, well, uh, we've, we've lost a lot of us and maybe we'll try something else. And so... They started following birds, and um, this uh, didn't work out very well. Birds can fly a very long way, and you only can see them for a little while. And not only that, they'll lead you to an island where only they can survive. Uh, they decided to follow the moon, and uh, that had the same problems of the stars. And uh, many of them Pat, died. They were desperate. They finally decided, we'll just get up every day and everyone vote on what we should do next. And this they called politics. Uh, in their desperation one day, they saw a ship 
with uh, efficiency sailing across the ocean toward them. And as they looked at the ship, they could tell it was uh, seaworthy. It was well taken care of. And uh, they recognized from before they set sail one of the wise captains who had given them direction. And he pulled up beside them and they drew their sails in. And the wise captain called over uh, to them, hailing them and asked them how they were going how they were doing, and they, they expressed much sorrow and sadness, and they said, We're, most of us have died. We, we, we don't know what to do. And the, the wise captain uh, said, well, you've got to follow the stars. And they said, well, um, we tried that, but the stars are always moving. Uh, the wise captain said, no, not really. It just seems that way. The stars aren't really moving. You are the one who are moving. And understanding that is the first step to letting the stars take you somewhere. Well, these fools didn't have the patience to learn, to learn, to understand. And so they continued in their suffering the end. I told it better in the first service. Here's the reality. If your direction only comes from the world you are in, then your life path can only be as good as the world you can see. And when you look around, you find it breaks your heart. Looking at the world doesn't fill you with purpose. It breaks you down. It doesn't fill you with hope. It breaks you down. You have to find a hope that is beyond us. Literally, a hope that is beyond the wor- this world. Which is why Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The world looks around and says, I've seen enough of this world. I've seen enough of human effort to know uh, this. Uh, Hope is just another form of a trick played on us. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to fix this mess. You just have to survive it. And so the world does not cling to hope. The world clings to some method of coping with it. That is why our society, our technology, our science has given us a better way of coping, but has answered not one question of the soul. Our science can help you numb your soul. Our, our, our technology can help you numb your pain. Our technology can entertain you through all of the uh, mysteries of your life, but it will not answer one single question of your soul. If your hope is limited by your sight, you will live as a spiritually blind man or woman, and you will say, I, I see no hope. You've just got a 
kind of grit your teeth. You've just got to deal with it. You've just got to cope with it. You just got to try to make it to the weekend. No, no, and no. God does not have a coping plan for you. God has a life and life more abundantly planned for you. And the church, hear me today, every one of you believers sitting there, your life needs to testify of this fact. If everything else in your life goes wrong, Jesus Christ is your living hope. If your dreams don't work out the way you'd like them to, Jesus Christ is still your living hope. When you're disappointed in life and disappointed in career and disappointed in self, rather than quitting, rather than giving up, you say within your heart, Jesus is my living hope. So identifying this problem is very easy. We can look at humanity and say, yep, humanity has lots of problems. And the result of that is kind of a type of soulful exhaustion as we survey the world, as we read the news. Uh, The result of surveying all of the shortcomings of humanity is kind of a a low-grade anxiety, quite like a low-grade fever. Uh, Not quite enough to destroy you, just enough to make you miserable. I feel like I'm talking to someone here today. The low-grade anxiety in your life, just enough to make you miserable. And so uh, you follow this for a little while, and maybe that's going to uh, show you a better way. And uh, Well, let's follow the wind for a while. It's, It's great for a little while, and then we're trapped against a lee shore by that wind, uh, threatened by reefs and close to death. Well, let's, let's follow this distraction. Let's follow the birds. Let's follow, you get the idea. Let's, let's try anything and everything, anything but the laborious work of asking yourself, what is worth the highest ethics of my soul? Anything but asking yourself, what is the highest star in my sky? If I was really a strong person, what would my life look like? If I really was secure, what would my ethics look like? If I didn't need so much approval, if I didn't care so much about getting ahead of anybody, if I was truly whole, what would my life look like? And maybe when you arise to the fact that your hope might be beyond this world, it might be beyond your own plans for self and success. It might be out there in the realm of mission and purpose where you take up your cross and you make a difference in your world. When you lift up your eyes, like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, you see no one save Jesus only. The prophets, they have faded away. And the law, it has faded away. And all is left is Jesus only. I invite you to this kind of Christianity. Forget about what your neighbor's doing. Uh, See Jesus only. I invite you to this kind of ministry path. Forget about what your neighbor said about you. Only see Jesus. Uh, Forget about your failures. Forget about your disappointments. Only see Jesus. Identifying the brokenness of humanity is easy. Musicians, you can come. I'm finished. Identifying it is easy. Uh, Many people have identified it. Both philosophers and even fools have identified the 
the pain of our own mortality and how just when we start to get a clue, it's, it's time to die. I'll never forget being a very little boy and my grandmother on my elm side uh, was nearing death and she sat there in a wheelchair in her little trailer in Los Angeles and I was just a little, little boy sitting on her couch and she said to my dad, just about the time you learn how to live, it's time to die. I didn't understand it so well then, but I turned 50 this year, and I'm starting to understand in a very tragic way. <laughs> uh, it's easy to say we have a short-lived problem. Uh, many people have recognized that. About the time you get your house paid off, of, paid off, it's about time to buy a burial plot. It's so depressing. I've just come here to be a depression to you and, and help you kind of, you know. Uh, a lot of people have identified the problem. Uh, a lot of people looked at humanity and saw how broken we are. It's not just preachers. Preachers, I mean, read the great novelists. Uh, their books are about the brokenness of humanity. Uh, if you really want to get depressed, read you some Russian novelists. That'll depress you right there. Um, they write about the brokenness of humanity. Uh, it's not just preachers. It's songwriters. It's poets. It's easy to look at humanity and say we have a sin problem. Because, Lord, do we have a sin problem. And it's not just sinners. It's saints, too. I didn't get any amens from this side of the church. And that bothers me because this is the sinful side over here. We have a sin problem. It's easy to say humanity has a sin problem, yeah? It's, it's easy to look down at your neighbor. It's easy to say, judge yourself by your intentions and your neighbor by his or her outcomes. <laughs> if you judge yourself by your outcomes, you, you, you get the idea. So, so Jesus steps onto the stage of the human story, and uh, he doesn't simply say you have a death problem. He says, Lazarus, come forth. He doesn't just say you have a death problem. He says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up again. He doesn't just say, you have a mortality problem. He says, woman, why are you weeping? Jesus doesn't simply say, you know, uh, humanity is broken. Lots of fools and lots of philosophers have pointed that out. Everybody from rock stars to poets have pointed that out. Humanity is broken. Jesus didn't just step up on some stage on the horizon of our story and say, y'all are broken, y'all dirty dogs. He doesn't simply say that. No, he says, I am the great physician. And I did not call for people who don't think they need help. I came for people ready to admit they need help. Jesus doesn't just say, you're broken. He bore stripes that we might be made whole. Jesus doesn't just say, you're sick. He stops and he says, who touched me? Jesus doesn't simply say, let's be honest, you're a sinner. He says, woman, where are thine accusers? There's just you standing here, Lord. Neither do I accuse thee. Go and sin no more. He doesn't simply say, you're a bunch of sinners. He says, thy sins are forgiven. He doesn't simply say, you're 
doing wrong, living wrong, acting wrong. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Let let, let me say it this way. For the believer, hope has a name. And that name is Jesus. We're not better than anybody else. I know some church folk think they are, but that's just because they've been smoking their own crack. They're they're not better than anybody else. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. I take it back. um, God, God help us religious types who look down our noses at people trying to get right. There was a day, well, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm just... The world has plenty of churches that act like health club where they have mirror up on the wall and everybody poses for the mirrors on Sundays. No, we need some churches that are hospitals. So, for us, hope is not a 401k plan. I mean, I like 401k plans and I hope you have lots of 401 in your K. That's that's to miss the point. Hope for us is not learning to be religious and having generation to church folk all lined up on Sunday. Everybody dressed right, acting right, hair right, styling and profiling. No, that's, that's just if you happen to, you know, have a good hair day. That's all that is. For us, hope is a name. And we say with Peter that we give glory to God because we have been given a living hope by the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. It's a living hope. It's a daily hope. It's a Monday morning kind of hope. It's a Friday night kind of hope. You know you need Jesus on Friday night. Don't act like you don't. You really need Jesus on Friday night and Monday morning too. It's a living hope. It's a real world hope. Let me say it this way. Remember me talking about the age of cynicism? I still say, above all our cynicism, was a life that was lived to show all of us how God intended us to be. A life was lived to correct every sin that's in my heart, every sin that I have been wooed by. There was a life that was lived as a substitution for the flawed life I have lived. And so my hope is this, that somehow in, the, in a manner that only God can describe and some theological truth that is of a deep, deep, profound nature, that perfect life he lived is going to be swapped for this imperfect life I have lived. And so the result of that is if any good thing comes from my life, when you look at me, I hope you don't see me. I hope you see the fact that Jesus swapped it out, my mess for his holiness my problem for his wholeness my error for his perfection and I stand here today with a living hope not that I'm a good guy I mean I try to be a good guy but that's not enough that'll lead you to an age of cynicism but the hope that there was a perfect life that was lived and it wasn't just example it was substitution you see if it's just example then we're stuck in the law and we can't keep the law it has to be a Passover And so when judgment comes and arrives at our house and looks upon us and our deeds, 
we are the ones that are hidden and what the judge what judgment sees is the righteousness of Jesus Christ my hope has a name stand with me all across the house several things are going to happen here in this altar um, those of you who uh, you're comfortable um, I'd like to invite you to step out of where you are and come gather around the front some of you have already had your vaccine you're you maybe already had COVID. You're not worried about it. I, I want you to feel free to come forward. Uh, we'll have pastors down here, and they'll pray for you, and they'll they'll be wearing masks as is appropriate. Uh, but that's going to be happening. Also, some of you are going to be right where you are. You're going to pray where, right where you are. That's absolutely okay. Um, there's going to be others here who you desperately need to touch, and I'm going to ask you to focus your hearts here and ask God for a divine intervention in your life. I don't want you just to come to church on Easter and not be changed. I want you to be vulnerable to God. I want you to open your heart to God. Uh, other things are going to be happening. We're going to have a baptism here in just a little while. So uh, lots of things are going to happen. Our, our worship team is going to take us deeper. That's, that's what they're going to do. Uh, and in this moment, I'm going to ask you to take a step into the presence of God. And open your heart to Him. We're, gonna, we're going to sing an old song here that I love. It's part of a church tradition. But it's a celebration of the name of Jesus. Because for the believer, hope has a name. Yes. Yes. So sing this old song with me if you know it. Jesus. Jesus. All across the church, just take a moment right now. Let's call out. Let's call out to God. Let's ask Him for His power, His anointing, His touch. If you have a need, step out right now. We want to join our faith with you. We want to pray for you. I believe the presence of the Lord is here to heal and to bless and to strengthen. I believe good things can happen in this altar right here today. And I want to join with you and celebrate the power of God to put our lives together again in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. 
If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.